1: Uh, why don't we just do a quick intro as to who everybody is on the call, to, and then we'll, we'll start in. Josh, do you want to start us off? Your name, company, title?
2: Yeah, sure. Right. My name is Josh Markowitz. I am the visionary because we use the EOS framework in our company, kind of analogous to CEO. Um, in some ways, like more highfalutin in other ways, less. My company is called The Next Level Planning Group. We're based in Chicago, Illinois, and we have team members also in Wisconsin, California, Texas, and soon to be Florida, uh, which is a big departure for us. Just before the pandemic, we were just Illinois with one Wisconsin, and now we're really expanding geographically. Uh, We are a full-service financial planning and wealth management firm. We serve about 600 families across the country, and we've been growing at about a 20% annualized clip for the last 15 years. Back then, it was just me and our founding partner, Adam Stock, my integrator, or COO, is a member of the COO Alliance, which is how I got introduced to this call, and we're looking to continue that, that pace of growth just through organic, you know one new client at a time and, and growing new advisors internally.
1: Awesome. love that. Um, all right, well welcome, Josh. Brandon.
3: Brandon Bowers, EVP Operations for the SMB team we are a digital marketing and coaching business for small law firms and uh, we're based in philly we also have a uh, presence in i think 12 other states now um, a large presence in florida is kind of our two pa florida will be our home bases
1: awesome and brandon's a steel alliance member as well uh scott
4: hey everybody Scott from president and COO of Hennessy digital Uh, We also uh, work with attorneys. We do digital marketing for law firms, an emphasis on um, uh, personal injury lawyers and mass tort firms. Uh, We've got—I'm in Los Angeles, but we're all virtual. We've got people in uh, 22 or 23 states now, and
1: and 15 countries. Awesome. Scott is also a CEO Alliance member. He's also a past past winner on Jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, with, for, for some good cash. Scott, quick question. Have you guys ever looked at doing um, the SEO? Because you guys are amazing at SEO for the personal injury lawyers. Have you ever looked at doing it for the financial services industry? as The whole new vertical?
4: Not really. Really, like the whole litmus test for any industry is like, how valuable is it for them to win in search, right? Like, so for an attorney, like getting one lead could be worth millions of dollars. Uh, that's the litmus test. We haven't really gone after financial services. It might, it might be a fit, but... Uh, it really comes down to that question,
1: Josh. What would a client be worth to you guys in terms of gross margin, annualized, or lifetime value, gross margin for a client?
2: Uh, in our target market, yeah, well, I guess I would say an annual revenue of ten thousand dollars, and you know, multiply that by twenty to forty years. So quite a bit.
1: Yeah, because the the traction is there, right? So maybe the, the cash conversion might be a little bit longer, but the lifetime value could be really good. Yeah. Um yeah, there's some, there's some interesting... I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, Matt, do you want to do a quick intro?
5: Yeah. Hey, hey, Josh and everyone. Um, Matt McLean. Um, I work with, with um, Scott at Hennessy Digital, um, who summed it up pretty nicely. I'm the VP of operations. I work with, with Scott. I'm in the operations department, and um, I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. Nice. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Heather?
1: Uh,
0: I am the VP of people at Wishing You Well. We are an Full service Amazon agency. So we work with companies like Dr. Bronner's to uh, listing their products online as a reseller, um, optimizing their listings, all the way to shipping their products into Amazon FBA. So um, and by our VP of Ops is also part of the CEO Alliance. And before you hopped on, he's going to be actually at the event upcoming. And then Cameron, I wanted to let you know that I stopped your sister this weekend. <laughs>
1: You stalked stalked her.
0: I stalked her on um, YouTube on Instagram because she uh, posted come. something, and then she posted something on yours, and so I was very intrigued by what she does. And so I, I oh, spent fine. some time researching her this weekend.
1: Yeah, she's doing her great. And by the way, thank you, Heather. You your company sent my dad a uh, a really nice bouquet of flowers. Um, that was really nice to get. Uh, my dad's recovering um, pretty well right now in hospital. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, has has not been a uh, hasn't been an easy stretch, but um, but thank you, I appreciate you guys sending those out. Um, Absolutely, there is something that you guys could take a look at. Uh, it's my, it is my sister's company. It's called Jam. Uh, have you guys done anybody on the call done one of the Jam events yet? No. Mm-mm. So my sister is is known for building almost a cult, like a cult like company. And during COVID, her business they had seventy eight employees, they went down to three. Because she ran co-ed intramural sports leagues for people in their 20s and 30s, and she was running them in seven cities, 180,000 people playing in her leagues. And the government said, sorry, if you play sports, you're going to get sick with COVID, so we can't have you being athletic. So they shut her business down. And because of that, she had, and she's been running it for 24 years, um, she had to figure out a new kind of business. So she launched this company called Jam, which runs the co-ed fun online events, uh, online social activity events to kind of connect people and have a good time. So we did one recently that was like a, a global scavenger hunt where you had to like figure out what cities you were in. I think Matt, were you and I on the same team with that one? I don't think so. As we did one for the the Seal Alliance. It was crazy. Like You're like looking at videos and pictures online. And you're having to try to figure out what city in the world you're in just by looking at the pictures. It was crazy. And then we did like a trivia game, a music trivia and some bingos, but really fun events. And, and for the cost, it's like 25 bucks an employee. It's kind of a no-brainer to run those kinds of things. So you should check that out, Heather. You guys would have fun doing it.
0: Yeah, I definitely will.
1: Yeah, the format of these calls is really to be kind of uh, an ask me anything. And I try to answer last. In fact, I just did a post about the leader really should be the last person to speak in every meeting. So, you know, Josh, you're the visionary. You should be the last person to speak. And your integrator should be the second last person to speak in every discussion that happens. Because our job is to grow people. And our job is to grow their skills and their confidence. And if we as a leader are sharing our answers too quickly, they don't get a chance to answer. They don't get a chance to be heard. We don't get a chance to hear their answers and go, fuck, that was actually pretty good, which builds their confidence, or to realize that shit, they all just said, what I was thinking anyway, I didn't really even need to be here, which gives them the skills and the confidence, right? So the leader's job is almost to flip the org chart upside down to be at the bottom, and if we ask a question of our team, get them to answer and then we answer. Or if we you know have a new idea, get them to give their ideas and then we share our idea last. It's also to get the quiet people, the analytical people, the more amiable people to speak. And that's often not the marketing sales people and leadership. So it's it's if we can get them to speak, we're growing their skills and we're growing their confidence. So that was just a, a video that I just shared, but any questions right now that we want to dive into? Because I'll I'll be the last one to share. I'll get you guys just to um, to give your insights first. Anybody thinking about anything? Worried about anything? Working on anything?
4: Cameron, i uh, the last call. Uh, people brought up the idea of quiet quitting, which I had never heard of before the call, but now I'm like obsessed with it, and I'm like I'm like sneaking and trying to like sense quiet quitting. I just want to hear if anybody else is uh, experiencing
1: anything with that. Yeah, let's. I, and I, I'll let everybody share. I want to say one thing about quiet quitting that I found out recently. I think Gen Z just rebranded something that's been around forever. We used to call it coasting. Yeah. I'm just yeah. coasting, right? I'm just in my job yeah. of coasting. So all they did is rebrand quiet quitting. I'm kind of coasting along, waiting till I find something better, to, waiting to be fired. I'm just doing the minimal amount of work. So it's nothing new. It's been around forever, right? But is anybody, is anyone experiencing that right now? And you know, going
3: through- I hadn't heard of it either until you you mentioned it, Cameron. And then now I'm seeing like articles everywhere. It's like when you say something, every- your phone's there, you know. <laughs> and it's like LinkedIn. Yeah. Every post is about quiet quitting. Um, not necessarily. We do have a few, like two people, I think, recently that got some concerns about and. I don't I'm reluctant to say that it's quite quitting. They've at least been a little bit more open, I think, because of our culture and we really very um, open and honest and transparent. So we try to get that out of our people. But what we what I have noticed is it's all in that generation and they have friends like in their ear and saying little things. Right. And it's like it's just kind of crazy looking back at what generations, you know, what this generation is. Is earning right out of college versus like past generations. And yet it's like it's not enough. And they're like, Why are you so invested in your career? Like, why, why are you so invested in your job? And you know, they're working from home, they're like friends hanging out. And so it's those things are are kind of what I think I'm more concerned about, is like their influences outside of the the office, mm. uh pushing them towards that quiet quitting almost in a sense. And they're kind of like in a conflict with themselves.
1: Yeah. What do you think some of those influences are, are they, like their friends is is one set of influences? Mm-hmm. Are you noticing any others? Because I'm noticing one.
3: Um, I mean, I'm sure social media <laughs> is probably affecting it. Uh, and I know that, you know, people talked about they're having conversations more with their families and things like that. So I don't know what their parents are saying. I would think they'd be in a different generation and would have a different mindset. But, you know, I just don't know what to predict anymore.
1: Well, so let me, let me give you, let me, and don't try to predict. I think what we have to do is ask questions and listen to people who will tell us what's actually happening versus predict it and figure it out. So I have kids who are 21 and 19. Mm -hmm. Now they're not quite in the demo that you're hiring, but pretty darn close, but I'll give you a, a fun example that just happened two weeks ago. My son really wants to work in the film industry and he's been doing all these jobs and getting all these jobs in the film industry And I said, you know, you really need to have a side hustle, like a side job to pay the bills because the film stuff comes, you know, in fits and spurts. So he's going to get a job in a restaurant and he landed this job. And I said, you don't have to be at this restaurant forever. You could, you could now put that on your resume and start looking to work in some of the great restaurants because it gives you experience. So I said, why don't you just start applying for these other three places? And he laughed and he said, dad, I haven't even had my first shift at this restaurant. So here's the dad teaching him how to get the (laughs) job that he just got. And he hasn't even started the job. And I'm also teaching him how to move to the next one. That's happening with every Gen Xer is teaching their kids and every baby boomer is because the baby boomers were raised by traditionalists. Baby boomers were taught, you know, be in the job for life. And then baby boomers all of a sudden were pretty disgruntled. And they started raising the Gen Xers saying, don't do the job for life, but five years and then move and five years and then move. And then we started realizing you don't even really need five years. You only need two years move, two years move, two years move, and you can kind of ladder up. And now we're basically saying, go work for a great company, work remote, go live in, in you know, take your laptop, we'll travel. We're not necessarily saying doing the minimum amount of work, but we're definitely saying, don't go to an office. Why the fuck would you go to, why would you drive 40 minutes to an office and have to spend time getting ready and drive home and like that's a waste of an hour and a half a day multiplied by all that. like so we're teaching them to to push back on that stuff for sure i think you're yeah, right i think you're right on the influence from their friends though where yeah you know yeah is anybody having to deal with that or josh are you seeing it in your space at all with your your employees or
2: we've uh, we've become customers of the engagement multiplier service because we really wanted to know Uh, what people really think and even then survey data is as good as what people are willing to share but so far it's been pretty good we have identified some weak spots but nothing's been super glaring amazingly uh, we haven't lost anybody who we didn't want or expect to lose since the pandemic began in fact we've added some really amazing people so i feel like we're doing a lot right
1: I'll, i'll give one comment that i've seen around the whole um and, and it typically happens from the entrepreneur, I think, more than the COO even. But, you know, Brandon, if if an employee quits, you know, does Bill ever say, well, I'm glad they're gone, right? Or, you know, Scott, when an employee quits, yeah. does Jason say, well, we're, we're kind of glad they quit anyway, because we weren't really happy with them? We, we somehow, the entrepreneur somehow externalizes and makes it okay that that person has quit. And my question is, first, if you were that unhappy with them, why didn't you fire them? Second, how long have you known that you'd be okay with them quitting and why didn't you do something about it? Third, the data point says the cost of the wrong person is 15 times their salary. So, the fact that you're keeping them for this stretch of time is is not only like potentially risky financially, but but your A employees, your best employees are wondering why that person is still there. Anytime an employee quits, it makes other people wonder if they should be staying. When an employee gets fired, it tends to make people work harder and get more focused. So it, I always think that a company should act from a position of strength versus a position of weakness. And, and the, the next part of the question is, what did we miss as the leadership team in the interviewing and hiring and onboarding and training and the leadership of this person that got them to the point that we're okay, that, that they quit? Because we fucking hired them in the first place. hmm Right. So so what so I think there's a there's almost like a debrief or a retrospective that needs to happen in our companies. And when we do that, when we really force our team after someone quits to ask ourselves those questions, that's a really good strategy exercise. And it really raises our bar as a company. Does anybody do any, any of that kind of stuff?
0: So something that we just obviously we have discussions after we let people go, but um, I was just part of a, a webinar probably about a month ago and it talked about how you calculate your turnover rates and how you analyze them. And obviously there's a really big focus on having low turnover, but they brought up this vocabulary term, which is regrettable turnover. And so looking at turnover in a totally different light and saying like, who did we actually care that we lost and why did we lose them Um, and look at it from that perspective. And then the same as what you're talking about, like, why didn't we let go of someone sooner? And I feel like a lot of it comes from a manager literally being scared of letting somebody go Mm -hmm. uh, and having like human feelings of, you know, am I going to hurt their feelings? Am I going to damage their family? Like what, what am I going to do to this person specifically? So, you know, we're talking about that a lot right now because we have a lot of inexperienced managers. And so trying to say, hey, like we actually I I literally copied the um, like three paragraphs out of your book, Double Double, about how, about the person that you let go and you should have let them go six months prior. And I shared that with a couple of managers and said, like, look, Cameron did this person a really big favor and you are probably doing this person a really big favor, too.
1: Yeah, we have to set them free. It's funny when you when you started talking about that, I was gonna tell you the story. So I, I'll tell it to the rest in case we haven't heard for him. But I was meeting with a mentor, I was an early Tuesday morning at Denny's, and he said, Is there anybody in your company you have to fire? And I said, Yeah, and he said, Who is it? And I said, It's this guy, Tyler. And How long have you known you should fire Tyler? I was like, I don't know, six months. He said, Why haven't you done it? I was like, Well, I could have coached him better and maybe he'll turn around. I feel bad for him. He's kind of broke, you know, he's been amazing. He got us on Oprah. Sometimes he's not so bad. Sometimes he is. We're really busy in these other areas. I'd like 12 reasons why I hadn't fired Tyler. All of them in my mind, in and of themselves, probably very, very legit. Stacking them up, they felt really legit. And Rob said, so basically you're chicken. And I went, yeah, pretty much. And he said, when are you going to fire Tyler? And I said, "Uh, I don't know. I'll I'll do it by Friday. And he shook his head and he said, never give me a deadline of when something's going to happen. Tell me when you're doing it. And Friday is too long. I said, fine, I'll do it tomorrow. He shook his head. And I said, fine, yeah. I'll fire him today. He said, what time today will you fire Tyler? And I said, I'll fire him today at 12 o'clock. And he said, good, call me at 12.15 and I'll be there for you because I know this is gonna have a really hard termination for you, but you make darn sure you're there for Tyler. And he said, every day for the last six months that you haven't fired him, you've picked on him, you've excluded him, you've shown him all the areas he's screwing up, Because you didn't have the confidence to fire him every day, you've systematically destroyed a human being's confidence because you didn't have the courage and skills of the leader to do what needed to be done. So support him until he's back on his feet, but fire Tyler and do it today at 12 o'clock. So I leave breakfast. I have to buy breakfast. I drive from Denny's back to the office. It's like a three minute drive. I'm wishing it's like an hour. I get to the office at 8am and the first person I see is Tyler. And I said, Ty, can I grab you for a sec? And we walked into the, the boardroom, closed the door. We're both 6'4". Neither of us sat down. And I turned and both of us started to cry. Tyler was one of my closest friends. Is the guy that got 1-800-GOT-JUNK on Oprah. landed a, like, He was amazing. He's a cultural icon, icon in the company. And um, he, he spoke first and he said, what took you so long? He said, three months ago, I told my mom you were going to fire me. And he said, this is the right decision. But why have you guys waited so long and made my last three months so miserable here? So we did we did help him. We did coach him. We did exit him that day. Um, he came to Huddle and introduced himself as a missing system, um, started his own PR company up. And for months, I would get emails and text messages from Tyler. And, and one was, you know, thank you for setting me free that day. Thank you for making one of the hardest business decisions of your career, but one of the best decisions of mine. My disappointment is about three years later, Tyler went on a five-day hike and went missing and he's never been found. Tyler was the largest search in BC history, 7,700 hours. You can look up the name Tyler Wright and you'll see the search. And I'm just happy I did it and was able to set him free. But I, I will never, ever wait that long with an employee again because it's just it's just not fair. So just to, just a quick show of hands, you know, thinking about your business and the the people that work for you today, is there anybody that you know that's in your company today that you should be firing either because they're not getting the results or because of the wrong core values or culture fit for the company? Just a quick show of hands if you know there is someone.
3: We just let go of
1: somebody. I don't. You do. Yeah, I've actually got one that I have to do.
2: I have a couple who are on the fence and we've confronted, their managers have confronted them about it. One about nine months ago and the other three months ago. And they've both stepped up, but I still need to see more in order to feel as certain of them sticking around as everybody else.
1: So here's my I'm glad that, that they're stepping up. Um, so here's my kind of system or the way I work with people once we decide if we put them on a personal development plan or we say, hey, you need to improve, um, as soon as I've decided to keep them in the company and and I'm going to give them stuff to improve on, I flip the model real hard and I'm there to support them and cheer them on and coach them and cheer them on and click. I am hyperactive in helping them get there. Otherwise, I'm just waiting for them to screw up enough times that I have the confidence to finally fire them, which is just delaying the, delaying the inevitable. So it's like if, if you were a professional sports team, you wouldn't keep that person for nine months saying they're not quite there yet unless you were actually actively as a team really helping to grow them, right? So, so the question goes back to what are we doing to now grow those two people, right? What are we doing to grow
5: their skills? What are we doing to grow their confidence? Um, yeah, that would be my thoughts for sure. That's interesting because I, I was reading a trending article like yesterday about kind of how things are getting flipped in a way. Um, and it's called like quiet firing. <laughs> like how do you know if you're getting that too. <laughs> quiet fired? And it's it's like it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying, Cameron. It's like, you shouldn't drag it on, right? Just if you, if you know there's someone there, like don't don't quiet fire someone, just pull the trigger, right? Sure. Hi, yeah, we've heard the sayings, right? Slow to hire, pull the
1: fire. Um, so Josh, with, the, with these people, what is it that you need to see change or what is it that they need to get better at? What are the two or three core areas you want them to get better at?
2: Sure. So we have articulated our core values as a company, And we've used that as a framework to let them know where we see them struggling to demonstrate certain of them in their work. So for one of them, the issue was reliability. Reliability is one of our five core values. And he he kept dropping balls more than was acceptable uh, in his position. So we gave him the examples of that. and We told him, hey, his name's Steve. We said, Steve, you're doing great at our other four core values, which is awesome. You know, you're a team player, you're, you're, you do your work with a high degree of craftsmanship. That's our second core value. You're, you're courageous in your communication. That was actually something that you struggled with early on. Steve's been with us for seven years now. He's made incredible strides. He was one of these guys who was like the, the, the pistachio with just a tiny hole in it. So he's managed to, you know, grow a lot in his you know willingness to speak up and then the, 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 four, the fifth core value we have is human touch. Anyway, the reliability issue had become big enough that we said, hey, if you're not able to improve in this area, then this is just not going to work out anymore. You're not going to be able to move to the next step in your job. And you know we need to have confidence that you're able to do that to you know keep you around. So that was Steve. The other one is Deb. And she was struggling with multiple core values, reliability, craftsmanship, and courageous communication. I mean, three out of the five. Now, Deb had only been with us for a year at the time, and she came from two previous companies that had extremely different cultures than ours has, and an extremely different pace of work. We actually overestimated the skill set and capabilities that she would have on day one. So she was way behind the the capabilities and you know productivity that we were expecting from her. And beyond that, she was just struggling to demonstrate these basic aspects of how she goes about doing her job. So I was not confident when we shared that with Deb that she was going to choose to stick around and try to make it work, but she did. In fact, she even told us that she she had told her wife two months ago that she thought she was going to get fired. Well, here we were saying to her, we are on the cusp of letting you go, but, and here are the reasons, but if you want to stick around, you know, we're, we're here to support you and we would like to see it work out because she does still have some great potential. She has a unique background. Um, we think she could be an asset to the company. And so, that was about three months ago. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah. What? So what, I love that that you're going to tell her that, and and
1: then she's making a decision to stay. About twenty percent of the time, they come back and they're like, "Fuck you! I'm not going to change. Everything's wrong." Yeah, right. Which is great. See you later. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. The eighty yeah. percent of the time that they do stay, I like that them to create the plan of what they're going to do differently, mm-hmm. and then they have to submit a one page plan of what the things are that they're going to do. And then what we what we do is because you need to have a plan. It's like, okay, you're going to stay. You're going to change. But what are you going to do? Like, yeah, and, and if. You're deciding to let her stay. What is what is the company going to do? So, get her to submit a one page plan of what she specifically is going to do to improve in these areas, and then you guys make sure that the plan includes everything that you need done. And then coach to her, cheer her on, celebrate the wins, oh, give her. I had a franchisee at 1 800 Got Junk that I did a 15 minute coaching meeting with every single morning for six months. And then at 5 p.m. at the end of the day, we did a debrief to see how she'd done on all the things that we said she was going to do during the day. We called it CAMP, the kick Marketing Program. And about three months into the six months of me coaching her every single day, she turned out to be great. She's still a franchisee 22 years later. It was me really digging in because otherwise it was easier just to cut her and let her go. Yeah. But without a plan, you know, we've heard the saying, right? Failing to plan is planning to fail. Yeah. You know, a hope, a hope isn't, uh, hoping isn't a plan. So I think you've got right. the person who wants to be there and it sounds like you guys have the right foundational focus on core values. I think a plan is going to be the good bridge.
2: Yeah, and th- that is a gap. Like as you were talking about that, I was thinking, well, gee, what are, what, what's Deb actually doing and, and how has she made improvements? Uh, and I really think that it's just nothing more than her trying harder. At, at doing the job that we've asked her to do. And I'm I'm concerned that that might be enough to like raise the performance for a short period of time, but there's a finite amount of gas in that tank. And I don't believe that her supervisor is watching her that closely or giving her much direct guidance.
1: No, again, without, without the plan, there's nothing that they'll be able to focus on. Take a look at the link that I just shared in the chat. Um, and take a look at the 12 modules that are in that course. If there's two or three of those modules that would help her, I would get her signed up for that. For the money, she's going to really, really grow. We have one of our wow. alliance members has 34 of her managers going through this content right now. Um, and it's stuff Does like it matter that. that she's not a manager. Not at all. Cause I'll give you some of the skills that would be helpful for her time management, conflict management, delegation, situational leadership and being able to ask for how she needs to be led yeah. um, one-on-one, like there's skills in there that could, could potentially be really good for her. Uh-huh. For the managers, though, for sure, right? Like anybody who's managing her, she need, they need to be better at one-on-one coaching meetings, coaching, delegation, um, you know, the, the the hard to sit or hard discussions. So there could be some good modules in there for them too. Right. Okay.
5: Thanks. Can I just what? say um, something real quick? Go okay, ahead, with the uh, Invest in Your Leaders course you are just talking about, I'm leading in and coaching our entire entire client services department in like two weeks on just one of those um, elements in there on delegation um, and, and coaching them up because I took that course. I, I saw that part and there was so much like I learned from it and I feel like our client services team can be stronger at delegating to free up some of their time. So mm-hmm. I'm just taking that one little section and doing a whole, coaching course with them in a couple weeks. Very valuable.
1: Have you watched the session on classroom training?
5: Um, No, I'm like 67% done with the course. So I don't think I've gotten there.
1: Okay. So before you run a session for them on delegation, watch the session on classroom teaching and it'll teach you how to run a session on delegation. Okay. It talks about the pre-test. It talks about the the different styles of adult learning and and reflective. Like it'll teach you how to actually run a proper session, so that they actually can then leverage that. This is how we built College Pro Painters, right? We had to go out at College Pro Painters. It was the world's largest house painting company. In four months, we had to hire eight hundred franchisees. In four months, there's not many companies on the planet that hire eight hundred people in four months. Then we had six weeks to hire eight thousand university students to paint houses. And we had four weeks to train 8,000 kids. And then in four months we did $64 million in house painting. And then 8,800 university students quit, went back to school and we did it again. We, we were operationally world-class on coaching and delegation and time management and project management and you know coaching and classroom teaching and interviewing. All of the skills that are in this are how we built College Pro. It's how I built 1 in the Junk. It's core shit. Um, what else on the on the people stuff? On the quiet quitting, I'm, I'm also kind of, how do we know that our employees are doing work? Is anybody worried about that? Like, do we have them, you know, are we paying them for 40 hours a week, but we're getting four? Are any, is anybody worried about that kind of stuff? How do you know what's happening with productivity? Or is it more that if we have the right people, we know they're just working hard?
0: I know that we're, I'm very interested in everybody's answers. I, we've talked about this in previous meetings, but it's a constant, conversation we're having with Tyler, our CEO right now, um, because part of his vision is to purchase a very large space um, to continue working in the office. And several of us are like, well, maybe instead of investing in that, maybe we look more at a hybrid workplace. So I'm always interested in learning more about this.
3: I know I shared, I think last time or a couple of times ago about we had introduced Toggle just to kind of get a more so an idea of like how much time we're spending per account. Uh, but it was kind of giving us some other insights, obviously. Um, but for the most part, we are just kind of watching it from a, we move very quickly. We have a lot of, a lot of balls in the air at all times. And our gauge is kind of like, are we getting things done efficiently and, um, you know, with high standards? And I will say, because we have exited, I believe all the people that we had concerns of we're you know, we're seeing results. All of our metrics are going in the right direction. We're seeing timelines of projects—you know, the ones that are like consistent, like website builds or um, landing page builds, et cetera—all are dropping and going in the right direction with higher results than before. That's kind of our gauge right now.
1: It's it's interesting that you talk about um, you know the standards that you're looking for, and you know if you think about about any any project that we have, whether it's let's say it's a marketing you know, um, piece that's going out the door, a landing page, it can be done and become 100% perfect, right? But for one person to do something to get it to 100% perfect takes a long time. So what I try to do is to get one person to kind of mock it up and get it done really quickly so that it's 80% perfect, right? Which still leaves this much here, 20% that could be perfected. And then that 20%, really has the opportunity for it to get 100% perfect. But if you can get some person to take it and get it to 80% perfect really quickly, now you're at 96% perfect. And this piece here can be passed to somebody. Opportunity in our teams is to have people working on a project and passing it and giving them the least amount of time and the least amount of money that we want them to spend on it. So as an example, if I had to, to craft a memo to send out to all of our COO Alliance members, it would take me three weeks to get it done. I would sit on it. I'd stew on it. I'd think about the wording. I'd look up wording. I'd have to craft it. I'd, Or what I would do is I would just literally grab my phone and I would do an otter and I would send that transcript to my assistant and she would take it and she'd kind of craft it into a proper memo. So it would take me three minutes to do a recording. It would take her 10 minutes to rewrite it so that it actually made sense. And then she would pass it to a copywriter who can take it and polish it and make it pop off the page in 30 minutes. And my memo could be out to all of our CO Alliance members the same day, because I get it to 80%, Meredith gets it to 96% and a copywriter gets it to 99.2, you know? And, And I think it's that if we approach our business that way that we don't need stuff to be perfect, We need it to get done and out the door. It's the momentum that creates momentum. Mm -hmm. And I think often our junior and our mid-level managers are afraid of screwing up and they spend a lot longer on something than needs to be spent. You know, if I said to you, spend no more than five minutes and, and write this up and get it out the door, that's very different from me saying it will only take you five minutes to write this memo. If I said it'll only take you five minutes, you're going to argue telling me all the reasons why it'll take you an hour. But if I say spend no more than five minutes, you'll get it done in four. If I say to you, it'll only cost $1,000 to do something, you'll give me all the reasons why it'll cost five grand. But if I say I need this done and don't spend more than $1,000 doing it, you'll get it done for under budget. So it's delegation is there's a, there's a wording art to some of our delegation is also a skill to teach our managers that stuff too, to be able to get more shit done with less people faster.
3: Cameron, you just said um in that delegation about the the verbiage and, and what and whatnot. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because just like anything else, it also comes from top down about the not getting it perfect. I'm very OCD. So in my past, I had to have everything perfect to get out the door. And we move so quickly here, as you know, like I, we just don't have time for that. And so I think me getting okay with that, and I know Bill talks about it all the time. We communicate that to our team that we seem to get it out. It doesn't have to be the, you know, perfect model the first time. Uh, has really because like you said, like usually the those middle level workers, they want to be perfect. They think it's their reputation. They don't want to make a mistake. Um, but us practicing that culture and delegating it with that verbiage that it's okay has really changed it a lot.
1: Well, and you know what else sir, is 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 I don't think that perfect is ever actually completed. Right it's I I think there's like a Japanese saying or something about this that you know you can polish a stone forever and then soon enough it's just a speck of dust and it's gone like how perfect is perfect you know my dad taught me that when I was a young kid that when you're putting a screw in you know you turn it until it's tight but don't turn it that one extra time it's that one extra time you strip it like when you try to have it perfectly tight you fuck the whole thing up For real right like so I think we have to be careful with saying that we want to we have to, def- like Brian at one got junk used to say that our dress code had to be professional. I'm like, dude, we're in the garbage industry. So what does professional in the garbage industry mean? So we came up with a definition of it for us that meant first date dress code, right? If you wouldn't wear it on a first date, don't wear it to work.
0: You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.